You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. I want my Away from my... All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three How correct answers, and together? you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. The best is here, the yeah, it's funny, you know, I should have done a new intro for this program. This is Showreel on 3CR on International Working Women's Day and uh, I realised that the compilation of Australian films that make up the intro to this program probably uh, highlights how many of the films uh, are that uh, are in our memory uh, do actually uh, trot out male voices. But um, never mind, uh, today we're actually going down to uh, the conversation that was held during the uh, Melbourne Women Films Festival down at Acme and uh, it's about money matters, making a film on a micro budget and in that conversation there was a whole range of women talking about uh, filmmakers, funding body representatives, sharing their experiences and anecdotes and advice on how to make a great film on a budget. And uh, it, the people that were there was uh, the the lead conversationalist was uh, Dr. Grady Hancock. She's a lecturer in film and design at Deakin University. Kathy Roder, who's a feature film producer and development investment manager for FilmVic. She also manages the API marketing for micro-budget films and API is an open movie database, which is a fascinating concept. Natalie James, writer and director. And Eddie, uh, Kylie Eddy, co-founder of Lean Filmmaking. She's a writer and director of uh, a low-budget feature. And Sophie Matheson, writer and director of a film called Drama. Now, uh, we'll kick off because we've got plenty of things to hear from these people. Money matters. How do we define a, a micro-budget film? Um, you know, what, what are the parameters that we're working with here? I feel like it's about um, is there's no budget, which to me is up to about 5k. Um, I would consider that a no budget film. Basically, no one's getting paid. It's all sweat equity, and then potentially from 5k up to about maybe 50k. I would call a micro budget, which I know is very quite contentious. And then from 50k up to you know a million in this country is really like low budget. So once you're up to the producer offset, that would be low budget. Okay, so yeah, there are a couple of terms here that we're throwing around, micro-budget, low-budget, and no-budget. Yeah, no-budget, which I guess is, you know, student filmmaking. And, oh, and, and, not necessarily. No, I, would just, I would just like to say that, like, no-budget for me, actually, um, until you know what you have and until you know what your film is, actually is a great way to start. And if we're looking at a platform like YouTube, for example, like, the creativity that's happening on that platform mm-hmm. where people are creating their own versions of what they want uh, to see in the world and often doing it all by themselves. Everything 
Little Victoria, we have um, um, our low budget definition is anything under 1.5 million. Okay. Um, and I've always embraced since an open channel conference a few years ago where they set the American one, which was the 250,000. After that is micro budget. So we kind of unofficially embrace that definition as well. For us, it becomes a case of how things work because anyone coming to us needs to pay either had some kind of cooperative arrangements or have to pay award wages. And um, it's very, very difficult to do a traditionally funded film on award wages from that one point five What was your budget for drama, if you don't mind me asking? So uh, would you, what do you consider drama to be in the micro, no budget? It's, I, I mean, it's definitely, for me, it's not a micro budget. We did pay people wages, um, but it was in a cooperative agreement. Um, you know, uh, particularly because we, we shop overseas, so we were working between foreign currencies. The final budget was up over around, I think it was about 360,000 Australian. Um, for me, because I, I obviously make film, but I also program film quite a bit as well. So um, I would say that for me, the kind of um, micro budget is pretty much anything under $50,000. Like that, that's just, yeah. But I, I would agree with Kathy as well. It's, it's probably underneath $250,000. You know, I think 5K is no budget at yeah. all. And we've, you know, I've seen some that are made for that as well. But I think, um, yeah, realistically, it's, it's not so much about the amount of money that goes into it. It's what you can get for that money yes. and what you can turn that money into. It's the strength of your relationships, I think. So mm -hmm. one of the things, like, particularly with drama, um, realistically, if any of you do see it tomorrow, um, you know, it's it probably on screen. It's, it's, it's well over a kind of producer offset film, and that's because we were able to negotiate package deals, crew, and um, facilities for, you know, yeah, the strength of the relationships and the film itself. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to, let, well, let's do a further introduction. I want to ask you each how you got into film. But I'm a BCN grad, and again, like, uh, networking is so key, you know, like, those relationships that you make in film school are the ones, are the people that you can count on to help you out, you know, in, in your low-budget endeavours. And it does become kind of a, a an ethical, a question of ethics. Can't always ask favors and things like that as well, uh, especially in the more traditional filmmaking route. You know, um, kind of sort of the kind of non-traditional, uh, more collaborative, smaller crew approach, which I think is amazing. And but for a bigger production, people need to be getting something out of the experience as well. I always feel like. When I do a low budget shoot, it's almost like hosting a party to a certain degree because you're trying to, you know, make sure that people are are happy to be there at the same time. You know, you, you need to know what you want, but at the same time, you can't do that at the expense of your crew or dev for it. Um, so that's how I've done a lot of my low budget kind of shoots. Um, it's just been finding key collaborators who are, you know, really experienced but are on board with the idea that you want to tell. Um, and yeah, willing to you know pull their connections as well and um, move forward with yeah the production. So yeah, on on that, just I think I might just how do you ask for help? I know that might sound like a really alien yeah. question, but it, you know you're saying there's it needs to be a point where you give back. Yeah, um, and it, it needs to be maybe facilitating a particular 
atmosphere on set so that people want to be there? It could be it could be that you're um, also occurring on other people's films. You know, certainly mm -hmm. you do that at film school so much. That's something you can definitely do moving forward as well. Um, otherwise, it's also for me. It's been working in commercials and being able to kind of you know get the same people on board and. And loyalty is something that's you know really important to me. So we always would try and you know keep a track record of who's who's done a favor and who can we pay back, and it kind of all comes around. And you can help in other ways of like you know making introductions, or I think it's it's just the goodwill that needs to be there. People mm -hmm. want to feel like they're. And I guess uh, yeah, on the equipment front, it's a similar kind of thing. It's it's just making sure you're using the same people and paying back those favors through things that pay. Yeah. So, how about you, Sophie and Kylie? You guys have made written directed films also, and uh, so I did not go to film school, so there is hope for people who don't go to. <laughs> um, I did study at the BCA, but I studied as an actor, um, and I graduated in two thousand and nine. Um, and then from there, I worked in theatre and dramaturgy, um, basically developing young writers um, and working alongside that. So I, I guess in a lot of ways that was my kind of genesis into kind of project development. Um, I then did my Masters at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama, which at that point I was like, mm, maybe I still want to be an actor. And then I started working with actors on screen. And I was like, no, oh, actually, I don't want to do this anymore, really. I don't want to tell you what to do. Um, and so from there, I just basically kind of started um, making my... I started directing the other actors in the course, basically basically and um, making some kind of not not shorts at all so drama is the very first piece of work I've ever made so I've never made a short film prior to that um, which is bonkers um, and, and then from there I've basically gone on so I'm in production of a um, documentary and I'm working with a uh, UK producer at the moment on my second feature um, but basically uh, I would agree like the share economy is something that's really really important um, I think one of the things that you also have to be incredibly good at is pitching, obviously, um, but understanding what, uh, where to position your film within the marketplace. That is, a, and, and when, when I talk about the marketplace, I'm talking about you know talking to post houses, talking to camera houses, talking to you know whoever kind of contractors you need something from. Um, every person is going to come through the door and say, "My film's great. My film's really, really excellent." Um, I think, you know, I'm very much about tooling women up and say, look, now is the moment. You actually, as women, we have a really big, like, commercial lever at the moment. We're actually marginalised and we're kept outside of the regular mechanisms of, of the film industry. So in a lot of ways, it means that you can go to post houses or camera houses and you can say, look, I'm working with a female crew, I'm working with an emerging DOP, I'm working with this, this and this, and this is why you should get behind it. There's so many stats out there that you can rely on to say, you know, predominantly you're su supporting or providing gear for all male crews and here is my crew, this is why you should do that. And that was basically how I got drama up. It was, um, you know, I, I utilised what I call a gender-balanced crew. I just pulled that out of my brain five years ago. Um, and basically what that meant was I was like, look, I have no CV and no, like, no one's going to invest in me, not a state agency or probably, you know, yeah, definitely not the government. Um, so the way that I can do it is by appealing to people on the basis of, you know, what needs to happen in the wider industry. 
And so I went out to female crew members who I believed and rightly um, intuited were kind of at that frozen middle in their career. So women who had been an ADR, um, you know, a dialogue editor, and I was like, you've been doing that for seven years. Do you want to be a sound designer? And they were like, yeah, I do. And so I was like, okay, well, how about I pay you the salary that you were going to do for this, but I give you this step up. And so realistically, drama is a kind of talent elevator project as well because everyone kind of moved up. So we had, um, you know, our, our best girl became the gaffer and all of these things. So, and as we released the film, that became an incredibly important way that we could position that in the marketplace as well. So I think, you know, when you're coming to making films, be really, really savvy, like, you know, really um, immerse yourself in the current kind of context and climate and think quite laterally about the story that you can create behind your film as well because that's just as important as the one that is going to be on the screen too. Make sure you get to the International Women's Day Rally and March in 2018. It's on Thursday the 8th of March at 5.30pm at the State Library. Hear from extraordinary women activists, including unionists, disability rights activists, Aboriginal women and those campaigning against police repression. Join working women across Victoria for IWD on Thursday the 8th of March at 5.30pm at the State Library. We have a world to win. You're on uh, Showreel with Annie on uh, International Women's Day, Working Women's Day on 3CR, and we're listening to some chats from Money Matters, making a film on a micro-budget. It was part of the uh, Melbourne Women Film Festival, which was uh, just finished, and uh, it's about how to make a film and with particular interest in women filmmakers. Kylie, you, you wrote and directed a micro-budget film. How did that, how did that happen? Tell us your yeah, Genesis um, story there. And I'll look, I think a fantastic point that uh, Sophie just made was that if you want to be making feature films, stop <laughs> around with short films. Mm-hmm. Like, just, I'm serious, they're a completely different beast. Short films are amazing, I love short films. But if you actually are making short films in order to make a feature film, just go out and make a feature film. Um, and I guess for me, so I actually uh, studied film in the 90s. Uh, welcome to VHS tapes. Um, where I was sending my VHS tape out to film festivals. That's what we used to do. We used to have a budget for postage. Amazing. Um, so, um, and my heroes were really at that time in the 90s, there was a huge kind of indie queer resurgence that really inspired me to just go out and start making stuff. Um, so I made quite a few short films um, and, you know, probably three or four if you exclude the awful, awful, awful student films that luckily oh, are yeah, VHS. Yeah, we don't talk about those. They don't exist anywhere on the internet. It's amazing. Um, so, and then after I had a little bit of success with a short film that was uh, four minutes long, I shot it in my lounge room, um, just myself and the actor. It was, you know, 200 bucks budget, of which most of it was glitter products. 
because it was about going to Mardi Gras. It was essentially my coming out story. Mm. Um, and it was called Coming Out of Work is Hard to Do. And we're talking about like over a decade ago where that was like, I mean, it's still a thing, believe me, but certainly at this time, and it really had a lot of um, success on the queer film festival circuit. And then I'm like, well, I'm just going to, like the next step, obviously I'm going to make a feature film, um, which turned out to be quite uh, a trial as, you know, it seems like it is. So my micro budget was uh, $29,500 from go to um, I It was before YouTube existed, before Patreon existed, before Twitter existed, um, before the producer's offset existed. Actually, one, my film was one of the last films to be funded through the TMBA structure, which actually meant that if you got private investors, that they would get a 100% return, tax return. So actually, I went around to all of the rich lesbians I could find and said, <laughs> please give me $5,000 and I will represent you on screen in a way that you have not ever been seen before. And that was also... I did get a little bit of uh, script development money, but it didn't kind of pan out to anything more than that because it was really a lot of feedback around, hmm, you've got two characters in this film. Why is one so fat? And why is one so lesbian? Um, and it's like, mm, that's kind of... That's right. They're both women and they're both women. Like, yeah, yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> also back then, um, it was like, it was actually a... It's like now I think it's amazing with money that it's actually a non-recoupable loan. Uh, so you can actually, if it's under $500,000 for the funding, I think that's the same for Film Victoria, I would get that you actually do not have to... It's a grant. You do not have to pay that money back. Back when I was doing it, all money was a loan, um, and so I got $10,000 from uh, the Australian Film Commission, which is now Screen Australia, and of that, that was to write the script. But of course, I was also the producer and the director and the scriptwriter, so I paid the script editor, which is what you have to do when you get funding, but then, because I did get next round funding, which is how the government model works, you have to keep getting funding in order to keep getting funding in order to keep making the money, um, and I wanted to make it anyway. I owed the government $11,000 on the first day of principal photography. Yeah. How the fuck did that just happen? But I had already paid it. And it's like, so it's, I just, I think this is the interesting thing that sometimes when we don't talk about government funding is that we're really lucky in this country to have that support. Mm. But just be clear that it does come with a lot of strings attached. And there's a lot of freedom now. Like back then, there was not the technology that we have now where I could make that 30K go so far now. Oh, my God. So, you know, I just think it's really important to be clear. It's a great model. It's great to have it. Um, though it does come, it's not free money necessarily. Um, and then I guess based on the experience of making that film and basically doing everything and giving, like, giving it, working on it full time for nearly two years, at the end of that, I was exhausted broke, no film career, no one wanted to hire me, uh, didn't make a cent from the film, luckily did not lose, like, my house, but it was, <laughs> like, it was pretty dire, mm. and had to try and, like, go, oh, how, like, how do I get a job now? And based on that experience, at the same time, coming to a conclusion, here's a long-winded way of getting there, <laughs> is that um, my brother, who's an agile software developer, he had to go through this whole process and listen to me a bit to learn about it and see how, how because it kind of was trying to do this incredible big project on this in this weird way um, that was where it was the traditional traditional funding model and he's like you know what in agile agile software development we're trying these different kind of ideas of how work how work is used and how teams are formed 
and slowly he just started chipping away at me because my first instinct was like, you can't do that, that's not how it's done, this is not how... But after seven years, <laughs> I'm now fully evangelist, I'm fully confirmed to have actually created a whole new process for making films that's particularly great in this, uh, you know, uh, no-budget kind of model, though it can totally scale up, um, called Lean Filmmaking, to look at doing things in a really different way so that we can just think about the actual process of making film in a different way. So that's what I've been working on for the last five years is really trying to experiment and explore that. And now we're writing a book so that we can share some of that. Amazing. I'm just thinking maybe we can do a bit of a comparative. I mean, it might not work too much, but a comparative. Yeah. Kathy, I wanted to pick your brain on, on producing and also accessing certain funds and the kinds of models that exist now for low-budget filmmaking. What's, what, what, what do you do? <laughs> it's tricky. Um, from Film Victoria's point of view, our production investment doesn't need people to have experience. What it needs to have is marketplace attachment and a finance plan that adds up, So, which basically means a distributor. For films under one and a half mil, we do allow people to do self-funded distribution strategies. So, I mean, we're still waiting for people to land with the VOD solutions and all those kind of things, but how you can actually raise the money, we can put it up to 10% of the Victorian spend, which means we're normally one of the last ones to come along. So the producers need to have raised the balance of, or have at least have people interested in raising the balance. So there's no reason why, if someone came to us with a cooperative type arrangement, with a, a low budget, with the other funding partners in place, and... A, a really, really good distribution strategy that's resourced and has people who can do that kind of thing attached that we wouldn't be involved. So all those things are possible, but they're really, really difficult. The hard thing is getting that money into place in the first place. So um, the producer offset kicks in um, when there's a half million dollars Australian spend. Uh, so it usually you have to cash flow that into, the, into your things so and bank charges and things on top, which are not. So usually maybe a $600,000 film you could make using the producer tax offset. But that's kind of often the, the lowest that people can go. Where the rest of the money comes from, um, it's similar kind of process to any of these as to how you can pull those things together. Um, with the offset, people can do reinvestments where you actually pay them and they can reinvest the money. Um, but there are tax implications of that, so people have to be careful that they don't end up with a tax bill at the end of the day. Yep. Um, but you know, a lot of post houses will do reinvestments. Um, some of your cast and crew will reinvest in the film. Um, crowdfunding campaigns, which I'm sure we'll be talking about. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's um, a lot of hard and fast talking, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and so, with lean filmmaking, does that speak to that a little bit about sort of how you? So here's the thing. Just to give context, because we keep talking about this thing like legal filmmaking, like it's a thing, and people know what it is. That is not the case. Yeah. Um, so, and once again, it's kind of like saying, describe to someone who doesn't know how to make a film, how to make a film in a sentence. Right? That's hard, and we just assume that this is the way that films have always been made, and it's the only way to make films, like pre-production, post-production, shooting, that kind of linear model. But actually, that's only been around for about 100 years and someone made it up and mainly it's because they had horses and carts and they had to get a great big giant film camera around. Like, we don't... The camera in our phone is more powerful than even what I shot on a 
a decade ago, let alone 100 years ago. So we've got all this technology to kind of help us make things in a different kind of way. That's what's allowed us to try and explore different models. And lean filmmaking is just one of a range of different ways that people are exploring things. So for us, lean filmmaking is a new way of making film actually puts creativity at the centre. And it's built on four fundamental principles, which are that filmmaking is a collaborative art, so embrace it. Put the story first before production values. Build deep audience connection and engagement. And learn by doing rather than extensive planning. So it really is a circular model rather than a linear model. So for us, it's a completely different way of looking at funding. We're suggesting start small with a really small squad, experiment and test while no one's watching and try and build a connection with your audience. Really understand if what you want to make connects with an audience who wants to see it, that also you can do within your constraints, which are probably time, skills, access to gear, so you try and if you think of it as a Venn diagram, what I want to make, what an audience might like to see, and what cons what constraints I have and how I can deliver, which is trying to find that little bit of crossover. Um, and so what this means is that if you find that you have something that connects with an audience and that you can do it in a really rough form but you can see the potential and you've already tested it with an audience, guess what? Suddenly you can go to distributors and a funding agency and other potential crew members and go, look at what we've been working on and look at all these things. We've done 50 interviews with audience members who are into our product. We've got a mailing list of 500 people who are ready to whack down their money as soon as we add our production values. Let me tell you, so much more excited. People get so frigging excited because they see that you're actually doing something, even if it looks like shit, <laughs> because they can see the potential in it. And we, as filmmakers, have to be really cognizant that production values do not necessarily equal money and sometimes because we want things to look perfect because that's what we're taught is important for our careers and how we've traditionally got money is by making a beautiful looking film actually our audience sometimes doesn't care mm. they just want the content they want the emotion they want the heart and we are really doing ourselves a disservice by trying to fund first before we even know what we got so in my final thing around the budgeting what i would suggest is rather than going i've written a script it's set in France. Well, I'm not just using this joke. And, um, you know, but you can obviously access to that. That's about exactly the Titanic. I'm making a film. It's got an elephant in it. Um, and I just want to do it because the elephant is important to the story and it's going to be amazing. Instead of doing that, maybe just thinking back, like, I've got a story that's about animals. Is there an audience that's interested in elephants? I'm going to do some research. Have a look at Facebook groups. How many people are there? Some YouTube videos about people who like elephants. Is there a Facebook group about uh, liking elephants? Are these people desperate for content about elephants? You see where I'm going with this? How can I measure that? And then how can I test that in a little way to see if that will then connect? And then once I know how big the market is, I can budget accordingly so I do not over invest if I'm not going to be able to recoup it. Yeah. If the audience for elephant films is small, don't spend a lot of money. If it's big, spend away. Yeah. And so we can expect this elephant film <laughs> Working in sort of the development investment side of things, is that the sort of planning and um, research that you like to see when you have people coming to you with project ideas? 
Absolutely. I mean, it, it is, um, and I guess this is why if we're doing the production investment side, we want uh, marketplace attachment. That's the market. That's the people who are going to go out there and sell it. If you're doing it yourself, then we need to see exactly the things that you've talked about, the numbers, um, who's going to see it, and all of that kind of thing. Um, we do do, and whilst I've talked about production investment, we do have a marketing low-budget film fund, which can put in some money in to help you theatrical release your film. And that one doesn't have all the other constraints about having to pay any fees and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess for us, the, the criteria is the, the calibre of the, the, the quality of the, of the film. So at the production, at the other scale, it's always, and as you said, story first. So story is critical to get it to be the best it can possibly be. Um, that it's and for us the the low budget stuff is very much about um, career paths. So what's the professional development where this person is going to be? Is it about the benefit to Victoria? Or was it wholly produced here um, or largely with Victorian key personnel? And and diversity does um, does it's kind of the last tick box, which is it alone doesn't. Um, make you want to jump on board, but if all the other ducks stack up as well and it's diverse as well, then yes, it's hard to say no to. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, they are the, the key things to always bear in mind. And that's the end of Showreel. Hopefully those tips that were given at the uh, Melbourne Women's Film Festival will help all those people who are all those women out there who are dying to make a film, well, they're good tips for your future endeavour. Coming up next is Published or Not, and we're going to go out with the au pairs. It's obvious. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.